Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this episode of In Lockdown With, with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is Bethany Griffiths, who's a senior lecturer in drama at Miss Potomac College. Hi Beth, how's things? Good, thank you. Yeah, fine, just sort of uh, enjoying a little bit of return to freedom and, well... The same normality, but it's never normality in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and and what has this kind of period been like for you? Um, well, I suppose like with many ups and downs, really. Um, mm. We've obviously had the two boys home, needing homeschooling, as well as needing to carry on with our jobs. Um, and rethinking completely how on earth do you deliver drama online but Mm. for a number of months not just the odd lesson here and there so yeah we've had some we've had some lovely moments and it's just been really nice to kind of do more things as a family because my eldest is a teenager and so he's much more you know wanting to play with his mates but um there are obviously some times where we've also wanted to kill each other so <laughs> I think we're kind of enjoying getting back to having a little bit of independence and being able yeah. to see well all of us seeing our friends again because they're you know friends are important to me as well so definitely I think a lot of people have felt like that yeah absolutely the first question I'm going to ask you is the first question I ask everyone who comes on this podcast how did you first get interested in theatre? Well, it's a bit of a strange one because my first ever solo performance was when I was five and I came home and just announced that I was going to be performing on my own in the end of end of year concert and my mum was very dubious and sceptical and yes, I'm sure that you're singing with a group, yes? Well, I was like well, the others will be on stage, but then I'm singing on my own. And she still didn't believe me until she actually came to watch the concert. And then, you know, I was there with my little tutu along with my classmates and um, they all fluttered backwards to to upstage. And I ventured downstage (laughs) and sang the whole of White Christmas on my own. Oh, wow. So, um, and I think it's just one of those things that, you know, uh, I think my parents were quite surprised that I seemed unperturbed by it all and just seemed yeah. to take it all in yeah. my stride and from there on in really just I used to go to dance classes when I was younger and have always sung um, and then as I got older I think that the 
performance elements sort of reached more deeply into the drama side of things as well yeah. and I discovered I had a real uh, passion for performing in general really and I, I, I don't think that's changed the dance side of it has um, that's definitely my weakest of the three and it takes me forever to learn any dance moves um, but I still love singing and I still love acting uh, and the students make fun of me because I'm constantly saying, don't worry, if you're not there, I'll, I'll step in. <laughs> um, uh, I've been part of choirs and, and mm. drama groups and things and then basically didn't have the courage, to be honest, to at the time to go to university. Drama schools and things weren't advertised as much. Okay back in 1954 when I was a <laughs> prospective student so and I you know had advice and because then um, there was interest because of my my father being a teacher I decided to go down the route of uh, teacher training a four-year B ed um, and it was supposed to be in uh, drama but when I arrived at the college it was quite clear that there was a minute amount of drama and I realised then how much I wanted to do it and how much I was missing it and I kept on hijacking all the theatre workshops basically until the head of theatre studies took me in and said are you hell bent on being a, a primary school teacher and I just burst out crying and went no I want to do acting it, <laughs> so it, I transferred if I can go back a little bit like, yeah what? sorry were your parents supportive of you not wanting to do for arts? They were. They were all supportive of me performing. Um, I think they were much more um, sceptical and hesitant about me going back a year at uni to then restart um, a straightforward theatre studies course yeah. and uh, an acting course. Um, because they were very concerned. My parents had both come from really underprivileged backgrounds right. and so had really worked hard to get what they had. And I think they were very, very concerned for me to have what they felt was a secure um, career, I suppose, uh, and for me to not struggle in the way that, that they had. So, but they did, they did understand and they did see that that was something I was so passionate about and so they did support that. Um, so I'm really grateful for that, obviously. And, and you, your time at uni, you know, I can imagine it was quite difficult until you kind of transferred. Like, did you find it a lot easier, like, after changing subjects? It was, it just felt like this is what I'm meant to be doing. Mm. Um, and I, in a funny way, the, the year, um, the year doing something that wasn't for me made me realise more what was for me. And so it made me, I suppose, more appreciative and really made me throw myself into the course a lot more and invest mm. a lot more in what I was doing. And suddenly doing something that I had wanted to do and just doing that was just yeah. immense you know not having to do any extra subjects for the first time in my life and just do what I wanted to do was just incredible and were you just acting at this point or were you thinking about directing as well oh. um well 
I sort of started doing some directing as part of the course because we one of the projects we were given we, we were given various things and some things were we were directed in some things were um, where we had to create our own pieces as a group devising and then there was another set, um, project where we had to write our own piece and then we were kind of like directing ourselves but also directing um the people that yeah. were in our project so it was it was great because it's the first time i had ever actually put pen to paper in terms of creating a piece myself right. it always right. been very kind of um group work based and this was my personal project then um and then I was like super chuffed because the moderator examiner at the time had come from Royal Welsh College of Drama and said he was like super impressed and wished that I was his student <laughs> and gave me a first. <laughs> and like, um, kind of how in terms of people sometimes talk of there not being that, that many links to the industry for people within education, at that level of education, did you feel that your time there prepared you for a potential career in the arts? Um, to a certain extent, I think, because we were suddenly given a lot more independence, so there was a lot more um, individual rehearsal and a lot more expectations for you to behave as an adult rather than being spoon-fed I guess um, and so I think perhaps you know in terms of the industry it perhaps didn't prepare me I mean in fact we had we had somebody from the West End in with us on Thursday and she said that for her despite the fact that she had three years at Mountview once the real learning curve happens when you suddenly start working professionally. No matter how run, professionally run your course is and how vocational it is, when you suddenly see the way everything works in the theatre and not just you turning up as a performer, um, I think that's the. Re and they say that about driving, isn't it? You do your real, you do your real like learning once you've passed your test, which just sounds a bit dodgy, but. You know, I think that's the case for most people. Once your feet mm. are actually in that theatre and you're suddenly aware that this is something you're being paid to do and this yeah. is your this is your living, you've really got to up your game, I suppose. For me, there's a sense of responsibility there. Like other people yeah. are relying on you, relying on me as a writer to deliver a script by a certain deadline. And, uh... Yeah, absolutely, and I think, you know... Sorry, go on. Go yeah, on. it's so important because you know that it, it's not just about you. No. Theatre is a collaborative art form that can only function if everyone is contributing. Really. Yeah, uh, absolutely. What were the challenges for you of break into the industry after graduating? Um, well, I think that, you know, really it's the, the sudden realisation that you are one of so many people looking for the same 
part. <laughs> um, and you know, I didn't. I didn't spend. There's only a couple of years that I spent. You know, sort of. Um, prof, you know, looking for professional yeah. work. Um, but there's also a lot more women looking for roles than there are men right. looking for the same number of roles. So um, there's a lot of pressure. Um, and I think on some levels, I um, was because I was straight out of. Going, to, going for some of these auditions, I was straight out of uni. I had that level of confidence to kind of just throw myself in there and try things, particularly in workshop-style auditions. Um, it was very much like you've got to be fearless yeah. because you've got to show that you're willing to try anything and make a fool of yourself and, and not worry about um, what they're expecting and just partly to just be yourself too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it's you know the thing of scrolling through, trying to find parts, um, then looking, being open to try different things, things that you haven't thought of, um, and you know I worked with a company then that were just starting out um, and based in Devon, so I kind of up sticks and and went to be with my partner and. and um, we were both working with this particular company, but um, he had, you know, I, I ended up being more kind of a facilitator role, whereas, you know, and there were, yes. weren't enough yeah. female parts to go around. They had no money, so they were constantly waiting for, for mm. funds to come in in order to be able to do the next part of the project. And so suddenly it's, oh, okay, the reality of trying to be a jobbing actor is... is You've got to learn to be mm. versatile and be open to to taking on other jobs, um, which is what I did, chambermaiding and waitressing to kind of um, to help fund things, you know, and and then just knowing that you might be given a three month contract in in one particular um, company, spectacle theatre company that I worked with, this three month contract, and once that project's finished. Um, you might not be suitable for the next and yeah. it isn't it's like I always like you know come home to the students it isn't always about ability but suitability and you might just not be suitable exactly. for a particular role and how did you then make the decision to go into teaching um well I think it's because I you know looked at the unpredictabilities of of the profession and and thinking I, I would prefer to be doing supply teaching to make my side money while I'm looking for acting work rather yeah. than waitressing or doing care work, which is another job that I was doing to sort of help fund me. And I thought, well, I prefer to be doing something that's specifically related to my chosen subject. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things, I, I got myself a job, um, and I ended up, you know, get having a full-time drama and English post, at the time thinking, well, it's temporary, I'll go back to the acting, and then, being honest, I got myself a flat, suddenly the responsibilities of needing to pay a mortgage yeah. and whatever kicked in, and I thought, right, okay, maybe the alternative is for me to teach as my career and then I can still keep up with the acting and singing but in my spare time so I'm not relying on it to be my income. Did you feel comfortable with that decision? I did at the time. 
time because I felt it was the right decision at the time and I and you know I was much younger and I think I just had that well I've got years ahead of me it's all good you know there's no there's no worry about it and what will be will be um and I actually really enjoyed the teaching aspect and really enjoyed working with young people and mm. thought oh do you know this is just really rewarding not just being interested in the subject myself but trying to empower and help to empower some young people who might perhaps struggle with confidence issues yeah. lots of different ends of the spectrum some people who are really gifted and so it's brilliant to see them flourish but also some people who might have not wanted to string a mm. sentence together in front of anybody before and suddenly they're able to deliver a speech mm. you know not suddenly but you know with nurturing and help and advice you know I'm not a magician like <laughs> <laughs> Overnight, they're delivering Hamlet. Yeah. <laughs> and and you, you've talked at second schools and at Mishpilama College. Yeah. What, what's the difference between the two for you, do you think? Um, I mean, I've never thought about the college sector, to be honest with you. Um, I, I just went straight into comp teaching and, and I, th I suppose really... There are pros and cons to you know every sort of situation where you work in life, but um, I I really enjoyed working with a bigger team when I was in the comp and and mixing with staff from all different subjects and um, just having that big team environment. Mm. I really enjoyed that, um, and you know, but in terms of the college environment, for me, I know that I relates well to the older age group um and you know i kind i'm childish so it kind of gives me young <laughs> it gives me a license to sort of um behave childishly i suppose but um but yeah i just feel like i you know i get on and relate well to the older age group and i and i think that um since teaching the the btech style courses yeah. as well having the freedom to choose material um, was a real revelation because I taught A level and GCSE so much, which is uh, so prescriptive in their nature, that being able to say, well, okay, we're gonna, you can deliver contemporary theatre as long as you cover the, the skills. It doesn't matter what plays you look at, and for me that was brilliant because it kept me learning and trying different materials and reading new plays um, and it also meant that the students were doing things that were fresh and different and and we could do th things differently year in year out um, and you and you exposing students to plays and playwrights they wouldn't have come across otherwise and you're yeah, broadening their yeah. horizons yeah and so and, and welsh playwrights and and people close to home and, mm. and and giving them an understanding that this could be you as well you know that it, that the opportunities are there um and you don't have to be shakespeare <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of the status of the arts within education where are we now how do you think the arts is seen within education is there still a bit of a way to go yeah, sadly, I think there is. You know, we go through waves, I think, where um, 
investment is given and there's a sudden realisation of how important the arts are. Um, I mean, you know, it, it's years now um, since the Donaldson report was released and, you know, the importance of creative learning was was kind of explored and then suddenly schools were like... <gasps> We've got to yeah. we've got to deliver some creative work because we've been told to. Uh, my I, I think there's a real mix. Um, there's lots of people within schools and within the education sector who do really value the creative arts and understand that it isn't all about pretending to be a tree in the corner and you know. It, expressing yourself or saying well, what animal am i today yeah. and things like this you know that it's it's about you know looking at critical thinking and problem solving and team skills and creativity and opening up so many opportunities for people to work in a huge variety mm. of um, job opportunities in the creative industry sector you know at the end of the day we are the biggest sort of um financial input in the uk as far as um jobs are concerned you know the finance of the creative industries is that what we bring to the uk is massive but there's still very much um a blinkered view that everything's all about what's on stage yeah. and the performers rather than the writers the directors the the lighting the sound you know um people going into journalism you know mm. There's so many different avenues that you can take. Design, you know, the opportunities are massive. Um, I mean, I I did your course at MPTC, not because I wanted to be an actor. That was never my plan. I always wanted to be a playwright. But I wanted to gain that understanding of what being an actor was like. Yeah, absolutely. And that's given me a foundation early in my career, I, I think, as you say, there's a perception of the arts from people on the outside that it's one thing, whereas it's such a diverse industry and there's so many possible avenues that you can go down that isn't just acting or yeah, dance. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I think the best, um, best writers and directors for the theatre are people who've been actors first. Um, and I can't, because I'm an actor first, director second, I, I find it really hard to not get up on stage and do what I'm asking my actors to do. Um, I'm constantly, oh, hang on a minute, I'm just going to walk that through a minute because I want to feel that it feels right. And I'm not saying that what I feel is what everyone else will feel, but I don't want to say oh yeah, well you walk down stage right at this point because you're motivated no. to do it because. I, I just think, well, if I do it and then it feels all wrong or it feels, a, you know, then that doesn't work then. There's no point me telling somebody to do something if I don't think it would work from an actor's point of view. I, I, want, to, I want to kind of, now that we've kind of come to it, I want to ask you about your process. Um... How did you kind of develop your process as a director? And has it kind of changed over the years? You say that you're an actor first. And surely that must have had a big influence on your process as a director. Yeah, absolutely. I think that 
I mean, the first time I ever directed a show as a musical theatre show rather than a play was a real awakening for me because suddenly I had things to consider like underscoring and songs that needed to be set um, as well as the, the directing of the dialogue. Um, so it was really very much like winging it. <laughs> it was it was kind of like, right, okay, this is a steep learning curve for me and I'm just going with it. And But I think for me, it's massively always been about instinct. Um, and I'm always telling the students, you know, when I can see somebody's about to move and then they stop themselves, I say, why did you, why did you stop yourself then? Oh, well, I don't know. I thought I should move. Well, if you thought you should move, move. Because mm. my thing is, nine times out of ten, your instinct is right. If you feel the drive to lift an arm or sigh or roll, an eye, roll your eyes or whatever, then, um, then that's generally because your instinct, your natural instinct, is, is, is telling you the correct thing to do. Because ultimately, it needs to be natural in order for you to believe it and the audience to believe it. Um, mm. I have, I, I think I've become more disciplined in the way that I approach scripts now. Um, I try not to look at other productions right. of, of the same production because I don't want it to influence me too much. I tend to kind of do it and then look at other things once I've once I've done the creative process to kind of think oh oh actually that might work I don't want to be too heavily influenced by what's mm. gone before um because I think things need fresh eyes but um, if, if it's a well-known show are you not also balancing an audience's expectations of what guys and dolls is yeah absolutely yeah yeah, and I think, you know, that is, and at the end of the day, it's all about bums on seats, isn't it? And so people are going to have a level of expectation for, for things to be done traditionally, as it were, and to, to be, but I, but I also think that it's important for people to come to the theatre, and what, whilst it's nice to feed that tradition, it's also nice to generally speaking the people who come to the theatre are there because they want to be supportive yeah so i think for them to kind of go oh my gosh that was a really different take that was a really unusual way um you know back years ago a few years back when we did romeo and juliet and we kept the set very like industrial looking and you know had the gauze and the scaffold and the steel decks and things i think you know um stripping back sometimes the expectation of the scenery to tell the story and just focusing in on the acting yeah. is really important because at the end of the day straight theater most of the musicals it's about the text how are you yeah. showcasing this text you can have elaborate scenery costumes but i believe if the text the text should stand on its own two feet, and that should be what the audience yeah. takes away. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, we're there to we're there to tell a story. Yeah. And whether that's through dialogue or song or movement, that's that's important that the audience understand what the story is. And so, 
I think there's that willing sense of disbelief then, the suspension of disbelief that when people go to the theatre, it becomes irrelevant whether you've got no set or whether you've got yeah. um, white blocks that you're, you know, you, you've got in multi-use, you know, it, it, it becomes all about the, the storytelling. And you, you can largely work good performance between the ages of 16 and 20-ish. So how difficult is it then to strike that balance between treating them like professionals but also acknowledging that they're still young people and they're still developing and they're still developing not only as performers but also as young people as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, my my first thing is that it's got to be about remembering their people first and foremost. Um, you know, it's not that they're the student, you're the teacher, you know, or you're the director, they're the, the actor. There needs to be that understanding of, well, you've, like you were saying earlier about working as an ensemble, as a team, there's there's an element of, well, we're not working as a hierarchy here, we're working as, as a group, you know. Um, and I think, you know, the same, you know, because obviously we run the course in a, in a vocational manner and that's the design of the course to, to give them a flavour of working for a company rather than it being about lessons yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and having that sort of feeling of formal education to feel that they are part of what we have impact theatre company and that they have roles and responsibilities within that in the same way as they would as a professional in the industry that there's that sense of um helping them to grow and nurturing them to understand this isn't now spoon feeding school mm. you know we're here now to work together so that you can feel proud of what you put on that stage um, and there are responsibilities that go with that, which means mm. that you've got to make sure that you're off book by the date you're set. Um, I'm smiling. I'm smiling because I never <laughs> was, and you gave me the biggest. I'm going to say it right. I think the Crucible is a ridiculously challenging play to deal with level three students. And. <laughs> I, I've got short-term memory loss, and you gave me the biggest part. You gave me hell, and... But I was not prepared. You were a really good actor, and I was not prepared to say, you know, okay, we're going to make allowances, and we're going to give you just this small amount, you know, this small role. I didn't want you to be a walk-on, because you were better than that. Yeah. I, I suppose it was an experience for me, and I did manage to learn a big chunk of that play. Massive, yeah, yeah. Going yeah. through that experience showed me that I could do it, and there must be similar experiences for a lot of the young performers that you work with who thought, oh, I'll never be able to take on a lead role in something, and then yeah. they do, and then, it, and then the confidence it gives them. That must make you feel so proud. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's, it is it is hard, Kieran. I'm not going to lie, you know, because 
you striking the balance between what you feel is going to be um, a challenge to the person and help them grow and not something that will destroy them you know it's it's hard it is hard to know and to strike that mm. balance you know and you know but seeing you know seeing people can work their way up from some people have started they left school and mm. they have no qualifications and then they start on the level one program in creative arts and then they work their way to the level two and they get their level two in performing arts and then get through to level three you know and there's a student who's done that currently and she she's off to chichester now to study musical mm. theater so it's like that to me is is bigger than somebody who's come in who's had a stars across the board yeah. and then always been really super gifted and talented the, the big reward obviously i'm not saying it's not amazing when everyone gets the best that they can but to see somebody come from a situation where they were bullied in school and had to felt they had to leave and couldn't complete their course to to get into the point where they're yeah. going off to Chichester University is huge to me. And, you know, I think as I get older as well, I'm realising more and more the value of the seed planting. You know, yeah. the, you don't always get to see the end results. But I think going back to what I was saying about valuing and respecting people, um, that to me is is at the forefront. You know, you've got to have a heart for the people that you're trying to help, um, because without that, it's you're just doing a job. Yeah. Definitely, and I might yeah. as well work in Tesco, stuck in a shelf, if that's what I'm going to do. I, I, you know, for me, I just think it's really, it's about seeing somebody do the best that they possibly can and come out the other side and say gosh, I didn't think I could ever do that and look mm. at where I am now. Definitely, definitely. The kind of transformative quality yeah. of it. Uh, I'm going to move on slightly. Yeah. But it's on a similar line. Over the years, you've directed a lot of Shakespeare with your students. What do you think are the challenges of making Shakespeare accessible to young actors um what techniques do you use um well the accessibility thing i think it is a bit of an inbuilt barrier <laughs> um because people flippantly remark oh shakespeare you know um and even in john godber's teachers you know shakespeare and um, romeo and juliet which is a tragedy and you know there's obviously the double meaning to that yeah. <laughs> so it's um for me, yeah <laughs> and, and i think you know ultimately it's about trying to tap into the timeless themes and issues and the people of the plays um to recognize that they aren't these distant characters. Um, they don't all have to be spoken like this, darling. Um, sort of stripping away the image that Shakespeare has to be delivered, arky, yeah. Um, yeah. And, that, and that the characters are beyond people's reach in terms of who they are and what their backgrounds are. So I think 
you know, the first thing that, you know, we do is like looking at, you know, well, what themes are involved here? You know, well, you know, there's parental struggles with, with young people and there's rebellious young people and there's, there's loving somebody that you're not allowed to have and the struggle, you know, to do with that. There's also, you know, as you like it, social acceptability and, you know, will I be accepted if I'm, you know, one way or the other? And, mm. and there's so many different issues and themes that are relatable. And I think it's just dipping in, first of all, to understand that that's, you know, it, that makes it accessible. Oh, actually, yeah, you know, um, <laughs> power-hungry people in Macbeth, you know, yeah. there are still, you know, you look at the Trumps of this world, <laughs> who would have thought he would become the mm. US president, you know? Um, and so do, can, uh, do you see young people really, is there a moment where they kind of click and think, oh yeah, actually I get it now? Uh. Being honest, some do and some don't, you know, and I think that's just down to personal preference too, because some people will prefer a particular genre over mm. another, and you can't, um, you know, you can't force somebody to like a particular style. But I think, as long as you, as long as you can um, see that they learned and understand, and then realised, oh, actually, to me, I think that with with the language side of things, we're always trying. I'm always trying to do translation work with them, um, and getting them to like, um, for instance, do what some off text improvisation. So. Yeah we created a scene uh, like a bitch fight basically between two girls or two people and that was to re uh, reenact the helena and hermia argument mm. um and so i think understanding the vibe and the the drive and the motivation behind the characters then helps to also break that language down as well as the translation work because you can kind of oh yeah actually this is just like as if my mate has just nicked my boyfriend yeah. and then I've misread the signals and she's saying, what are you talking about? Putting it into modern language then helps to make it real, I suppose. Definitely. But yeah, some people, some people will go, oh, wow, I've never seen Shakespeare like this. And some other people will go, oh, I still hate the language. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you're going to win some people over it and you're not going to win other people over it, I guess. I kind of yeah, yeah. It. And in terms of the difference between directing straight plays and directing musicals, what are the different challenges there for you? Um, I suppose, you know, sort of going back to what I was saying earlier about the you know, having had you know, first, my first musical directing Bugsy Malone and, you know, suddenly having never done it before, um, I would liken it to juggling frogs <laughs> ah. because there are so many different aspects with, um, with a musical theatre piece, thinking about having to you know, obviously in the middle of dialogue, suddenly they burst into song about something um, and then go back to sort of speaking uh, their dialogue, um, directing songs, thinking about making sure that um, choreography is tied in and scene changes are uh, worked out with um, generally a bigger cast as well. Um, 
So I think it's a little bit like, oh my gosh, there are lot, there are so many more aspects to think about other than directing um, a particular scene. Suddenly you have to direct a song and you have to make sure that the choreography is placed in and around the the scenes as well mm. if they're integrated. So it's it's a lot of uh, a lot of fiddling about, I guess. <laughs> And you recently produced a um, gala evening um, with your students uh, from the college, um, which was done online. Can you just tell me a little bit about the event and what it was like to kind of put together, considering where we are with COVID? Um, yeah, I mean, with, with the gala, we, we decided a couple of years back that that was something that we were going to introduce. And um, rather than doing two musical theatre productions, that we would do the gala in February um, as, a, as a showcase of all the different um, disciplines across the board. Although the musical theatre production does that, it's in a much more structured way, yeah. sticking to the script and what's already written. Whereas... Um, gala um, brings together a huge variety of, of genre f um, through the drama, music and the dance um, and then so we had like musical theatre numbers like Skid Row um, Freak Flag but integrated with some of the dialogue that happens so setting the scene before and then leading mm -hmm. into the song um, some dances um, from Hairspray for instance as well um, but some straight drama pieces, some monologues. And the idea behind it is that it's, whereas with um, the musical theatre production, you know, obviously you've got your leads and you've got your ensemble. Um, the gala offers a, a lot more opportunity to showcase a lot more of people's individual work um, in different genres, really. So we were able to put all of these different, different pieces together um to create this to create this evening and obviously some of the stuff was started and rehearsed and developed online um so we do some devising pieces drama wise and mm. we started off with you know just an idea much as much the same as we would if we were you know in the studios and we would work through developing those ideas Obviously, a great deal of that would then be on its feet rehearsal, trial and error, whereas much of it had to be, you know, discussion online and chatting thing, ideas through. And it just got to the point where we had a skeleton script, but I said we had to just draw a line because ultimately you don't know what something's like until on its feet, until you get it on its feet. Yeah. Yeah. So we just hit the ground running, really. As soon as we were able to get back into college and, and rehearse, we just, you know, <laughs> every waking hour, just rehearsing and developing pieces the best that we could once we were mm. able to, to have the space, really. Uh, Obviously, that brought its challenges with rehearsing at distance and masked, you know, for the majority of the time until it came to the actual performance where we had to then make sure that it was covered in a risk assessment yeah. and that people were lateral flow testing as much as they could and things like that, you know, so. And, and you think about these, your students having the experience of performing to an audience and the kind of reactions that comes from performing to an audience. Yeah. 
How much do you think that they're going to miss that as an important part of their development? I think it's one of those, I know it's become an overused phrase, but it is what it is. (laughs) And ultimately, um, you have to make the best of a really difficult circumstance and be appreciative, as we were, that we were even able to do a performance of any degree, really. Um, We tried to kind of um, put uh, canned applause at the end of each item, so the students at least felt like they had some sort of end to the material rather than it just being finished, lights down, exit. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, our aim really overall was we've got to make sure that these students get as near to the ex- pos- as, as we possibly can to the experience they would have. So we ran the show exactly as we would had we had an audience. It was filmed, it was, um, you know, uh, Sadie, my colleague, was backstage, stage managing. So we were on cans communicating all the time. We had all the lighting cues in place everything was run and the band in the studios everything was run as it would be if there was an audience there and we did do two performances over two nights because we thought well although it's only getting filmed one night it's important that they have the vocational experience of the quick changes and then you know changing the makeup changing the costume changing hair set changes working together to be, to be as real as it possibly could be, really. Definitely. And, and they'll take that experience forward um, when they go on to where they go next down into their careers as well. And it's a difficult situation for them. How do you think it will affect your students who are applying for universities or drama schools? I think I really feel for the people who've had to apply this year, to be honest, um, because let's face it, having a conversation as great as it is as we're having now, um, it isn't isn't natural. (laughs) No. Um, Speaking face-to-face, literally, physically, and also being able to go to the, the university or the performing arts school or the conservatoire, wherever, and be amongst people that they're competing against, um, you up your game. There's no doubt about it. You absolutely up your game when you can see that other people in the room are doing a dance routine or you've overheard somebody's vocal. It can make you more determined or have more drive or, you know, there's that sort of competitive sort of element to it. And being able to see some the person who's auditioning you face to face and read reactions and mm-hmm. and and respond to directions spontaneously and things like that and I and I really feel for them and I think it's been very difficult for them finding places because of that because there's a coldness to performing through a screen in this way you know yeah. so you know so it's different with film and TV because it's designed for that. Whereas performing live theatre via a camera is a difference. Have you have you been doing workshops on like performing for Zoom 
how to get the best out of how to perform for this medium. Because it's a different medium, isn't it? It's not. Yeah, and, and, and I'm no expert on it. We've all been thrust into this. So I'm certainly not going to teach grandma how to suck eggs because I'm not an expert on performing via the internet. I, I You know, most theatre performers wouldn't be. Um, but I think the, the importance of some of the work that I did in, in years gone by um, with the acting for film and television unit of not overplaying things when, when it comes to, if you've just got, for instance, a head and shoulder shot uh, for a monologue, then you're making sure that the intensity is there. Mm. I'm not good at it. You can see my hands swiveling around <laughs> everywhere. If I tied my hands behind my back, I would be mute. <laughs> so um, I think, you know, it's just making sure that you can really see in your eyes that you're feeling the emotion and it, the less is more approach in terms of acting for, for film and television mm. as opposed to it's the, the huge theatricalities that we would have if we were performing on stage to hundreds of people. Yeah, and it's like not thinking, although what, what you're doing is theatre in a way, you're not thinking about it as theatre, but yeah, it's just a strange one really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do feel for them, but I think ultimately in, in, in these times, people have shown their resilience and their creativity and, you know, I think is being honest about the struggles and just mm. facing things and thinking, right, okay, this is not ideal, but I'm going to make the best of this situation that I possibly can. Um, and, and knowing that it's a season, it's not forever. Definitely. So just kind of thinking, right, well, we, we've got to suck this up. It's horrible. It's unprecedented. However, as I say, it is what it is. So let's let's do what we can to to just, you know, to think outside the box a little bit and, and also to think ahead. And I am I, I tend to be a bit of a glass half full person anyway. Um, and that some people might view that as idealistic. But I just think to myself, well, we, we, you've got, you can't let it drag you down, and you've got to think. Well, you know, I've got to look for, for to better times and and for things mm. to be better. Definitely, I think that's really important. The the last question that I'm going to ask you before I let you go into the world is. No, I won't marry you, Karen. <laughs> I'm already married. Ah. <laughs> is, um... Can you imagine having somebody high maintenance like me, Karen? <laughs> I'm not going to comment, I'm going to plead the fifth, <laughs> but like what, you've given a lot of great advice already, but what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in the industry, especially considering where we are with COVID? I think people get bored of hearing me saying it now, but be a nice person, first and foremost. Um, people are always going to want to work with somebody who is pleasant, respectful, diligent. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if you're the best actress, actor, whatever in the world, best performer in the world. If you're, if you're not a pleasant person, you soon get a name and reputation. And let's face it, it's a very small world, the world of performing arts. Yeah. Um, 
and you know i think really just the the flexibility in time these times to be willing to try different things um you might just learn something about yourself yeah. that you didn't think you could do because you've tried something different um but i think just sort of being respectful of the people that you work with and it doesn't matter whether there's somebody who comes in to clean the toilet or whether it's somebody who's Andrew Lloyd Webber and is ultimately responsible for paying your salary. Everyone is important and, you know, everyone needs to be sort of treated with respect. And, you know, it doesn't always happen. It'd be idealistic to expect it. You won't always get the respect back. But ultimately, I think, on, on the whole, do you want to be known as the prat that nobody wants to work with even though they're really talented or do you want to be known as a gifted performer who is just a pleasure to work with that's a really solid piece of advice thank you for your time Beth thanks Uh, Kieran it's lovely to speak to you you too that's all we've got time for on this episode of In Lockdown with my guest on next week's episode um is actually a former student of yours, Beth. Um, I'll be talking to Hayden Williams, who is an applied theatre practitioner, who's going to give some better stuff about the teaching side. Hayden's going to talk about being a student during the pandemic. But for now, it's goodbye from me. It's bye from Beth. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.